0: If the health scare isn't enough, I had a heart attack at age 36, had a severe heart attack. Five months later, I had what was probably a stroke. Did that get me to put down my food of choice? Not at all. Try to control your eating behavior and you cannot, you may have a problem. If you think about food all the damn time, if you're obsessed about your weight, because the weight is a symptom of how you're eating, you may not even notice that you're eating compulsively or selfishly or unhealthily or whatever words you want to use, you may not notice your eating behavior.
1: My name is Anthony Cappazzoli and this is the Dismantled Life Podcast, where we share stories of hope, love, and strength from the darkness of addiction into the sunlight of sobriety. These are stories from people just like us who have lived through the pain and made it. Thrilled that you, A, are on the show. First and foremost, I'm humbled by that. And secondly, I'm I'm fascinated by, th- by the simple fact that this isn't about drugs and alcohol. This is about something entirely different. And it's an addiction nonetheless. But I think it's, I am excited to learn from you a little bit about this struggle that you live with. And I'm, I'm coming on to share.
0: I'm- well, I want to thank you for having me because it's an important topic. For those of you who didn't read, I guess, the description going into the podcast, I'm a recovered compulsive eater and i think it's a very important topic because food is so in your face all the time and i think a lot of people have food issues who don't realize it i think a lot of people aren't compulsive eaters who think they are and i think that people need to hear the stories told so they can identify with them or not identify with them and just people need some understanding even within the recovery movement i'm a 12 stepper and even within the recovery movement, I have gotten a little bit of, oh, it's just food. And I'm like, yeah, you try it.
1: Right. Like, what a silly, mean, naive thing to say, first of all, to anyone going through any 12-step program to improve themselves and recover from any addiction. You know, shame on whoever said that. That's ridiculous, first of all. But secondly, I was thinking about this before our episode today, our time together. I can not drink, do cocaine, or not smoke because I don't have to have that to survive in terms of food and water, like food and water is a fundamental core element of life. And to have an addiction to that must be an unbelievably challenging struggle. I I can't, I don't envy you that, I'll tell you.
0: Thank you. It can be, but I look at it like you don't have to drink alcohol, but you still have to drink. So you still have to manage drinking. You just don't drink alcohol. I still have to, you know, I have to manage how I eat. But I don't have to eat compulsively.
1: Could you maybe share a little bit about what compulsive eating looks like? So for listeners that might not really have a grasp on that, because that's one of the things I talked to my wife about it in advance of our episode today. I think that would be helpful for listeners and forgive my being naive, by the way.
0: No, no, of course. So what compulsive eating looks like is it can be overeating, undereating, it can be compulsive dieting, restricting of your food. But basically what it is, is there is a physical component, just like there is with alcohol, but I don't really understand that. So I'm not going to speak to that. What I'm going to speak to is the mental obsession. And that is that I can eat and I can eat normally. And then I can't, you know, just like somebody who can control their drinking, occasionally, you know, for a few days, maybe even a few weeks. And then all of a sudden they are obsessing about the alcohol. That's what I do with food, with not with food, with the, it's more the act of eating. I thought early, well, early in my eating career, I guess you'd call it. I had trigger foods. I had foods that if I stayed away from them, I was fine. Except the mental obsession, I did not stay away from them. And then eventually just like any addiction, the hole gets deeper and bigger and it became not just the rush of sugar, which is what it started with. And, and there is a, um, you know, sugar does change your brain chemistry. That's a, you know, no scientist, no neuroscientist will argue with that. It does change your brain chemistry. So it started with sugar and the effect of, Ooh, you know, um, (laughs) but, at some point, it it like the hole got deep enough that I can I can eat green beans compulsively. Hmm. And it's just that mental obsession that once I start, once I take that first compulsive bite, which is, I think it speaks to what you were talking about, about not having to eat, not having to take, you know, use cocaine, but I have to eat, is that not every bite I take is compulsive. And I don't always know which one it's going to be. Hmm. But Gosh. but I do have a now that I am in recovery and have some time away from it, some time back from it, I do have I do I do know.
1: So many questions for you, it's because I'm trying to un- un- understand this myself because I'm, it's so foreign to me. So forgive my silly base questions at times. I, so I'm assuming when it's compulsive, you're not feeding, you're not eating because you're hungry. You're eating to fill that to scratch that itch, kind of like with a cigarette. Where um, sometimes I would smoke because mentally I was in a place where I always smoked, like driving in my car or taking a break, whatever it would be that I, I had like trigger moments that would lead me to want to smoke. And for, for me quitting smoking, that was the hardest part to break. Obviously there's the nicotine thing, but that's physically out of your system in a couple of days, I think 48 hours or less. So then you're struggling or fighting with those habits of smoking, the active smoking. And again, forgive my question, but is that what the compulsive eating is, is more, or is, is like in that regard where it's the active eating as opposed to the fulfillment of it?
0: I've never thought of it in those terms. So I'm kind of speaking off the top of my head, but I would say, yes, that it's, that it's the act of, it is the act of eating for me and for m- most compulsive eaters that I've sat down and really talked to about it. It is the act. My sponsor has said that she can eat a head of lettuce compulsively, wow. you know, so it's not the food. Most, most people, when they first start thinking, oh, I might be a compulsive eater. I need to get a handle on this. They cut out sugar and flour, or they think that's what they need to cut out is, is white food, white sugar, white flour. Um, but you can, you can eat, I can eat, I shouldn't say you, I can eat, like I said, green beans compulsively. I can eat broccoli compulsively. I mean, everybody thinks broccoli is healthy, right? But if you eat the whole damn bag of broccoli in one sitting without being mindful, that's not healthy. It doesn't matter what the food is. That is not a healthy response.
1: So how does that start? Does it begin with a normal eating pace, three meals a day, and then compulsively it turns into five or seven? Or is it more about one meal becoming, and again, forgive me, but gluttonous as opposed to just healthy consumption?
0: I think For me, and like I said, it can be undereating. I mean, bulimia and and, uh, anorexia are a form of compulsive eating. So it Mm. does not have to be overeating. For me, it it is. But um, for me, it became grazing. So it started out as three meals and a snack after school. And then I wanted to snack after dinner. And then, and I grew up in the South. And while every, I think every culture, especially here in America, has the concept of comfort food. Oh, yeah. In the South, they have elevated that to an art form.
1: Oh, for sure! It's some of the best food in the country by far. I, I totally see. That's that's the thing. I think a lot of the foods that I love would fall into. If I if I get my hands on some delicious fried chicken, I can do some damage. (laughs) You know, I'm not making light of it, but I'm saying I I get I get the the idea behind the comfort level. I understand.
0: And But growing up in the South where um, every food, every meal is an event or it wasn't my house. And yeah. we take, it's a big mess like all addictions. It's a big snowball of trauma and chaos and comfort and a screwed up mindset and self-esteem. And it is this whole big... Ball of all of that put together. What happened for me is that um, I did grow up in a traumatic and chaotic situation, like lots, most, all of us. My my mother, because we are southern and we love with food, we celebrate with food, we grieve with food. Her response was to feed me. You know, there was always, no matter what was going on in our house when I was growing up, there were three meals a day and a snack after school. But if I was upset. There was an extra cookie. You know, there was, there was a cookie outside of those defined meal times. And what I learned is that food is comforting. It is for everybody, whether you're a compulsive or not, food is comforting. The act of eating is distracting and it's pleasurable. So it, you know, distracts you from what it is you're trying to comfort. And what happened is that I never learned the tools, to deal with the things that were traumatic and chaotic and I ate instead. And for some people they do that and then they reach a point in their life where they're like, this is, I'm done. You know, just like, just like I assume with any other addiction. I mean, I did, I drank and I did recreational drugs and when I was done, I was done. Sure. But with food, I couldn't do that because at some point it became more than just a comfort. I never had this experience with drugs, but I think that you you might recognize it is that at some point I took a bite and the only way I can describe the experience is
1: <sighs> I fundamentally understand exactly what you're saying because I went through the exact same experience with alcohol, cocaine, and cigarettes. Like that exactly describes. So what's interesting to me is the parallel is there. I mean, it's it's addiction. Mine progressed from what I thought was a controllable amount, if there is such a thing. And, and let's be honest, there's really no such thing as control the amounts of cocaine. You just avoid <laughs> it. So there was a, what I would call like a staggered up approach. And all of a sudden it had the best of me and you, I didn't even see it coming. And then all, was that the same?
0: Yes. Struggle yes.
1: In progress?
0: There was a point at which had I known where I was at, I probably could have had I had the right tools, like I said, to to deal with the reason I was eating. There's a um a slogan or a saying in the compulsive eating community is that it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. There was a time that had I had I knew how to how to deal with what was eating me, I could have stopped. I think. Hmm. Um I don't think that like I've heard some alcoholics say they were that definitely the first time they took a drink, they were screwed. Yeah. And then I've heard some alcoholics say it was a progressive. There was a time in which they could control it. They just didn't for whatever reason. I think I fall into that latter category. I could be wrong because I didn't. So I don't know. There came a point where after I had that experience that, that, like I said, I can only describe it as an, ah, experience of where all was right with the world, despite the fact that I was overweight, I was getting unhealthy. For a moment, all was right with the world. And I started eating in pursuit of that experience, that feeling, that effect. I started eating for the effect. No longer for nourishment, no longer for distraction even. It wasn't even comfort. It was that whatever that was. It wasn't strictly a brain thing. It wasn't strictly a body thing. It was just my being. Just relaxed for a moment
1: this is so enlightening for me because I get it you're chasing something instead of this beginning to make sense with me this is a one thank you I, I'm learning so much from you uh, and I love it what does that look like is it because uh, I have some people that I know in my life and they're on the other side of the fence and by that I mean it's about uh, yo-yo diets mm-hmm. and things it's always the next fad the next pill the next. It, it, I don't mean pills like drugs. I'm saying like, there's always some kind of new diet remedy right. or something and right. they're always chasing that. And, and so is there an element of how you see yourself? Cause for me with my addictions, it was how I saw myself in the mirror and what I wanted to actually present. There were two different things. So I struggled um, and I masked myself with my addictions and then I presented who I thought the world wanted, which is the basis of, of of my struggle, which now I can say I live in peace and it's, I'm, I'm happy in the skin that I'm in, which is very nice. Is is that part of the recovery process for compulsive eating where, like what, what does the trigger look like for compulsive eating? Is it, you, like you said, you don't know when it's going to come. How, how does that, how do you prepare yourself to fight the fight in that regard?
0: Like every addict, I guess, I, you know, got to a point where, well, for me, I'd been on keto, On the keto life, been following the keto lifestyle, I lost 60 or 65 pounds and I went off, went just went off for a little while, for a little while, give myself a break, couldn't get back on. I couldn't control my eating because like every other addiction, the spiral down continues whether you're actively engaged in it or not. So that when you pick up, you don't pick up at the same point you left off. So um, all the while I had been controlling my eating, I thought by following the ketogenic lifestyle, I was also intermittent fasting. So I was not from the outside. It looked like I wasn't eating compulsively, but I would eat my first meal thinking about what my second meal would be. So I was already I was still thinking that obsessive you know, like having one cigarette, thinking about when you're going to get your next one or whatever. Um, so I was in that place. And when I went off keto and I didn't recognize it, didn't recognize that no self-awareness around that. And when I went off keto and gave myself a couple of weeks and started gaining a little bit of weight and I thought, oh, it's time to go back on keto. And I couldn't, I could not string together three days, much less three weeks, much less three months or a lifetime, because it is a lifestyle, not a diet. But I treated it like a diet because of my headspace. I knew I couldn't do it long term because I'd never done any diet long term. you know. And I just got to a place where I actually got afraid to eat because I never knew which fight was going to set me off.
1: If you did have a bite that set you off what what did that look like from a use perspective like for me if I was triggered and my trigger was just one drink and then I was set off and I was off and running what what was it like from a compulsive eating perspective for you um, if that whatever let's say the bite that set you off what what does the next portion of eating look like or what 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 happens next
0: no matter what set me off and like I said it could be green beans it did not have to be me breaking keto as far as or any other diet plan as far as eating sugar or whatever. The the bite that set me off, though, would be what led to the sugar binge. It wasn't a decision to eat sugar that led to the compulsive eating. It was the decision, not in so many words, not a conscious decision, but it was the decision to eat compulsively. Always Mm -hmm. thinking, this will be different. You know i'm not hungry but i'm going to go ahead and eat but i'm eating approved foods i'm eating foods on the list i still have macros left you know yeah. it's okay right i mean everybody would tell you you're you you want to eat it's the foods on the list you still have room for it in your plan what's the problem what I mean, right. your points is built around that you know Yeah. so i would eat that by not being hungry so i'm not eating the purpose of food is to nourish our bodies that is really its purpose and so i I would eat outside of that purpose, consciously, knowing I'm not really hungry, but, you know, I'm kind of bored or I'm upset or whatever. I'm going to have something on my list. And then that would be what drove me to what people call their trigger, you know, would would call my trigger food. It wasn't eating peanut butter out of a jar that sent me over the edge. It was the compulsive bite that sent me to the peanut butter.
1: just to make the parallel it it was my first drink and and that's why i can't everyone's like do you ever think you'll have a drink again absolutely not because i that forget it it's over then i mean i'm rampaging Mm -hmm. um so i get that and so for me there was always an element to taking a closeted approach like i had my social drinking side where people could see that and then i had my closeted drinking side where i didn't want people to see because it was pretty nasty so was there an element of shame or hiding it from a compulsive perspective oh, of eating?
0: Completely. I'm like you. I had my social eating. I could eat a meal in front of people and people would probably go, I don't know why she's so heavy. That wasn't a lot. Right. But they didn't see what I ate as soon as they, like if I had people over for dinner, as soon as they walked out of the door. I would be, if I was eating compulsively, I could control myself in front of you because of that shame. But as soon as I'm alone, I'm eating peanut butter out of the jar. I'm eating brown sugar out of the bag. I'm eating frosting out of the tub. So what some compulsive eaters go, Oh, those are your trigger foods. But again, the the obsession came before it was the way it's not about what I eat. It's about how I eat and how I think of food. It's not about the food. I could go the rest of, when I was on keto, I did not. Cheat. I didn't have processed foods. I didn't have sugar, white sugar. I didn't have, I didn't have any sugar. I didn't have white flour, uh, you know, wheat flour. And I still ate compulsively because I would eat more than my body needed. I would eat what I wanted, not what was necessarily nutritionally sound. And I obsessed about it all the time. That's the key for me. I just thought about it constantly. So I would know with my intermittent fasting, I ate at noon and I ate again at 4.30 or five. And I knew that and I'm not hungry. But at two, I'm thinking of when I can eat. At three, I'm calculating how much time it'll be before I can eat again. At four, I'm maybe even pacing, you know, because it's almost time to eat. That is. That is compulsive eating. That is not healthy food behavior by any stretch of the imagination.
1: I would have the same kind of buildup in my head where I was going, and in my case, it was going to either buy the cigarettes, buy more alcohol. The countdowns for me, one of the big ones was when I was able to drop off my kids by my mom's because she was babysitting for the weekend because she wanted to see the babies which is wonderful, but I didn't look at it like it was wonderful. My mom wanted to see the babies and spend time with grandma and grandma spent time with the grandchildren. I looked at it like I have two days to destroy myself with drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. So my buildup was that, unfortunately. My release was when I felt free when I dropped off. My kids was shameful to say out loud um, and hope my children will forgive me someday if they listen to this. Um, but it's different now. And in that that piece of the puzzle for me was a very big deal when I, when I can put down the baggage that I was carrying around through my addiction, and I'm still a recovering addict. I, I'm not pretending that I'm recovered, I'm, but I'm in recovery now, and, and I'm aware of those things, and I don't get the sweaty palms or the anxiousness to get and do those things. In fact, you know, my wife has a glass of wine or a drink from time to time. It doesn't bother me. We have alcohol or beer in the house for guests to come over because it's my recovery and my addiction, not theirs. I, I can't – I don't want to live – I'm lucky, I guess I'm, I'm in a position with my addictions where I can, I'm not going to say the word control because that's a dirty word, right. but you know what I mean? I, I can be around it and not feel triggered to chase it. Um, now I can't have a drink because then I, then I will right. be triggered for first. Right. Right. What does recovery look like from a, a silly base question, but I'm trying to understand like For you, is it keeping food out of the house? I mean, how does the recovery look like? What does that look like for you?
0: My recovery is very similar to yours, at least around alcohol. I'm sure you don't keep cocaine in the house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I certainly used to, but (laughs) not anymore.
0: Yeah, but around alcohol, um, there is a Snickers bar on the dining room table right now that I bought for my husband. And it'll just stay there until he eats it or moves it. (laughs) Um, I don't mind having food in the house. And in fact, when I first got into recovery, uh, I don't do this now. I think that I was granted some grace to just, to just appreciate the feeling of having some normalcy around food and of not eating compulsively. I had um, a candy bar, again, uh, a Hershey's bar that took me five days to eat not because I was controlling it, not because I was portioning it out, but because I simply, I ate half of it and went, okay. And five days later went, oh, I should either eat that or throw it away. Well, at three days later, I said that. And five that you know, two days after that, I went, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll eat that. I'll have that for dessert. And I haven't had a candy bar since then. That's been a couple of months ago. Um, but it's in the house, certainly, because... To use a uh, 12 step lingo, I have been granted neutrality around food. I, as long as I keep up my end of the bargain of the 12 steps, which is, um, doing my spiritual work, as long as I keep up my part of the bargain, I have a daily reprieve and I can tell, boy, I can tell if I start resting on my spiritual laurels and go, yeah, I did that yesterday. You know, I don't, I don't need to do my reading prayer and meditation today because I yesterday and I'm busy. I can tell I don't get, I don't get itchy, but I get sloppy. Yeah. I won't leave two bites on my plate because I'm not hungry anymore. I'll go ahead and eat them. And that's, you know, very dangerously close to eating compulsively. It is not necessarily compulsive, but you know, it's, it's on the pathway. Certainly. So oh, yeah. if I'm not keeping up with my spiritual program, I get sloppy. And, you know, that's what leads to relapse.
1: I'm very strict with myself about my routines and my, in my positive habits that I have used to replace the, the, the bad habits, if you will. And I hold myself to that standard. Even if I don't want to do whatever it is, my routine is there for, I do it anyway, you know, because if I don't, I'll fill that nothing with something that I don't want to fill it with, and um, and and there are good days and stretches of good weeks, and then there's a bad few days. And I, in fact, I had a few bad days. Talked about it in a, another episode, but I would get these flash anger about the silliest things, not big events, not things that you should be angry about, but little tiny things. I lost my pencil or something like that. Something as trivial as that. And it would send me over the edge into this crazy. So in in what I've discovered is, first of all, it's part of the recovery process that I've learned from other addicts that have been so kind and helpful responding to my questions on Twitter, much as you did when I was asking for others to be a guest. So I'm always very grateful for that. Thank you. What it was also the return of that was, I realized that I was not, meeting my needs personally. So I had some layers that needed to be handled and I wasn't properly handling them. So that kind of spurred anger. Um, Thankfully, it didn't turn into a relapse or anything in my regard. But I I, I can see how, just like you described, if, if I let a routine go that I've built in a positive way, like I make the bed every morning. In fact, in my walking course, I even talk mm-hmm. about how I wake up and make the bed every single day. And some days my wife's in bed, so I can't make the bed. But I'll go to boxing. I'll take my walk. I'll come back. She's up having her tea. Then I'll go upstairs and make the bed. And if I don't, I'm not compulsive or obsessive about it. But if I make the bed because I want to have that step or that checkbox checked in a positive way for me. Um, so I can see if I let it go, it would bother me all day. And that that itch would lead to bad decision. So I understand what you mean by resting on your laurels in that regard or letting it slip because I could never say I don't need this anymore. I'm always going to use these positive routines, hopefully in a positive way. So I get what you're saying. And uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I went on a diatribe there. I didn't mean to do that. Do you have a 12-step program that you attend with other other people with eating disorders that you talk to in about kind of like an Alcoholics Anonymous where you say, you know, hi, I'm Anthony, I'm an alcoholic. Do you have that same That's a
0: tricky question because of COVID, but there, yes, there are 12 step programs for 13 different 12 step fellowships around food issues. And I am involved in one. Um, I'm involved in overeaters anonymous, but I find that a lot of meetings are like a lot of alcoholics find a, some AA meetings. They're not really addressing the issue. They become bitch festivals. And that is not useful to me. It may be useful for another person. I'm not going to question another another person needs in their recovery. That is not useful for me. What was useful for me was going through the steps in the AA Big Book, exactly the way they're described for alcoholics. That's what was useful for me. While I'm technically a member of OA, I reach out to other people in OA that need sponsors. I consider my primary purpose to be not to sit around in a meeting and complain about my babysitter or my husband (laughs) or the cat or whatever. I consider, or even my food or what have you, I consider my primary purpose to be to carry the message of hope as I experience the steps to other people who need to hear it, which is one reason why I'm here, which is why you called for when you said on Twitter, is anybody interested in telling their story? That's why I texted back as soon as I saw it. I would be more than happy to if you'd be interested. Not just to hear myself talk. Of I course. To hear myself talk. But not just out of vanity, but in hopes that someone, I needed someone to tell me it's not about the sugar. It's not about how much you weigh. It's not about not sticking to a diet. Those are all symptoms. It's not about the food. So controlling your food isn't the answer. I needed someone to just slap me in the face and say that. And I totally get that. Yeah. And I find that a lot of meetings I go to, that's not a welcome message um, because they want to control their food. Most people do. I did. And they want to control their food. So OA, it's very um, popular to weigh and measure your food and to have trigger foods that you avoid or red light, yellow light and green light foods of what you can eat and not eat. And that's still controlling your eating. And if you can control your eating, it's just like an alcoholic. If you can control your drinking more power to you, I can't. And I want to reach the person who is as sick as I was.
1: I guess an addiction that, that for, for lack of a better way to put it, something that can go completely missed by even people sitting at the table with you, where an alcoholic, for me, you could tell that I'm drunk every single night or, you know, on drugs every single night. And then there's big tells there. But eating, I would imagine that socially speaking, it would go completely unnoticed, in fact, welcomed um, that you're eating and indulging in the food made by people that you love and that love you and you're in all of that. So I would imagine that this could slip by the radar of, most people so that's why I'm so grateful that you're on the show today to tell this story because I think that this is certainly eye-opening for me Um, and that's my next question so how how can people listening that are struggling with an eating disorder whatever that means to them what are some tells perhaps and I know you've talked about it a number of ways but maybe one or two things that you might be able to help them see clearly if they're not seeing it clearly today
0: if you try to control your eating and you can't that's whether that's bingeing and purging whether that's restricting altogether whether it's just bingeing and not purging whether it's grazing all day you know no matter what it looks like if you try to control your eating behavior and you cannot you may have a problem i mean it's the same thing that you know that that some people will tell alcoholics go i heard i heard a speaker tell a great story that his psychiatrist, he, I don't think he was in um, recovery yet. And his psychiatrist said, okay, it's going to be like eight days before we can meet again. What's your poison? Vodka. Okay. Uh, Choose a number like one through five. He chose three. I want you to have three drinks a day of vodka. No more, no less. Until we see each other again. Mm -hmm. A really bad alcoholic can't do that. They could either white knuckle it and not drink at all for a few or, as happened with this guy, he put the vodka in the freezer, he poured his drink, he said, "Ah, oh, loophole, the psychiatrist didn't tell me how big a glass to pour.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. It would depend on the size of the glass for me, because I would find buckets to meet the three-pour the, the, the three standard, but that's... He ended that's drinking a, that's the a- whole
0: bottle every day for eight days while he was trying to control his drinking. And that was my experience with food. A very similar. I would try to control it. And, um, you know, I'd be off to the races just the first time I put a compulsive bite in my mouth, which if I'm trying to control it, it is probably that bite. Um, and I'd be off to the races. And, and uh, like I said, I mean, you know, brown sugar out of the if I didn't have food in the house, I had cooking ingredients, much like an alcoholic and Listerine, I guess, or NyQuil. You know, I had cooking ingredients. So my food, of my drug of choice, my food of choice wasn't available. But I have a bag of brown sugar. That'll work. You know, that'll work. Um, and so if you cannot control your eating over a long period of time, like, say, for eight days, that seems reasonable um, without cutting out what you think of your trigger foods. You know, you may have a problem if you think about food all the damn time. If you're obsessed about your weight because the weight is a symptom of how you're eating, you may not even notice that you're eating compulsively or selfishly or unhealthily or whatever words you want to use. You may not notice your eating behavior, but if you're 75 pounds overweight, you have an eating problem. It may not be a compulsive eating problem. You may be one of the people who with sufficient motivation or, you know, a health scare, for example, um, can quit. Yeah. But if the health scare isn't enough, I had a heart attack at age 36. I had a severe heart attack. Five months later, I had what was probably a stroke. Did that get me to put down my food of choice? Not at all. I remember a friend one time telling me we were very young. We were in our 20s. And she said, I almost wish I was diabetic because then I could put down the sugar. And I said at 24, I think I was, I said, all it would do is make me feel guilty. You know, so at 24, 30 years ago, some level, I knew that being faced with being faced with diabetes and a lifetime of insulin and possibly losing my legs or fingers or, you know, whatever, my sight uh, was not enough at 24. I knew that was not enough to get me to stop eating compulsively. It would just make me feel bad about
1: it. I, and I, I totally understand that. And, and one of the challenges too, I would think is all of the pre-processed foods that we have now, instead of people using it. And I'm not plugging whole foods, the the grocery store, I'm saying like whole foods, like tomatoes, making, making your own food at home, as opposed to popping it in the oven or the microwave or shortcut meals. I'll right. Them. Um, and listen, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I mean, I throw a, a frozen pizza in the oven and my kids and I have a nice, you know, a little frozen pizza and that, and that's not what I'm saying. But I think if, if you live in the prepackaged frozen section of the grocery store or like the inner aisles, I think that that could move you down the path a little quicker perhaps because there's no effort behind the meal. Maybe I
0: I think so because ultimately with this and and I'm going to say most addiction, it may not apply to everybody, but, um, I think most of these addictive behaviors, it amounts to selfishness. I want what I want when I want it. Yeah. And, you know, that is the pre-processed food world. You know, a pizza, if you're going to make it from scratch, takes a while. If you're right. going to eat it in the microwave, it takes four minutes. You know, you can have what you want when you want it. And that certainly feeds into the addictive mindset. For sure. Yeah, no doubt.
1: This has been so enlightening to me. So I've one one more question for you. So what what is now that you're in recovery and like me, I'm a, and like for me I'm always in recovery and some days I have good or bad days. I white knuckle through it. But I'm living in the sunshine now as I as I say on the show. So I'm I'm wondering Cindy what what's life like for you now that you're aware of your addictions and you're in active recovery? What what is life like in the sunshine for you?
0: Life is so much better. For one thing, I am so grateful that I can enjoy a meal and not be afraid of it. And I don't I'm working toward I, I'm getting to a place mentally where I where I need to tighten up my eating, not mentally but not to control my eating but to be kind to my body. You know, so I need to to cut out the rest of my processed foods, you know, put down my diet soda, but it's not about controlling my eating from a compulsive eating behavior it's from a point of view of wanting to be the healthiest i can be so that i can be of the most service and not just service in a broad sense but you know in service to my family i am getting to the point where i'm starting to to think about what i'm eating but even in a different way but even 2 weeks ago i had biscuits and gravy for breakfast and enjoyed it and when i was done I was done. I didn't think, I didn't sit there all day going, yeah, I can do that again tomorrow. Right. (laughs) Or they don't stop serving. It was fast food, biscuits and gravy. I didn't think, and I have thought this when I was in the heyday of my addiction. I didn't think, yeah, they still serve that until 1030. I could go get another one. I didn't think that. I now, when it comes to eating compulsively, I, I won't say never because that's a big word. But for the most part, I don't think about it or not think about it. I just, when I'm hungry, I do a quick check-in. For me, it's with my higher power. Hopefully, I get an answer back on what I'm supposed to eat. If I don't, I'm left to my own devices, um, which doesn't always work out as well as it should. But, but it, I'm not eating compulsively. So I, I can eat. I'm eating more healthy, and it's natural. It's not forced.
1: Well, That's wonderful. Um, and thank you for the privilege of hearing your story. Uh, I, I'm honored that you came on the show to share it. Uh, it's is wonderful, and I learned so much from you. Uh, I look forward to staying in touch and I look forward to having you on in future segments for checkbacks. If you're okay I, with that, I would I'm love to. Okay have with that.
0: That. You know, for some people, external validation isn't a thing, but for me, it helps keep me honest.
1: I think that that's that's a piece. I think having kind of I guess, social awareness in a positive way where, you know, recognition and things can be a very positive motivator um, as long as it doesn't turn into that's like uh, I always kid my wife, half joking sometimes that she she should put her phone down instead of always, you know, and there's compulsions compulsions around that. And I'm not suggesting that she has issues, although she, she might. Um, but the, you know, I know people that are addicted to how many likes they get on Facebook or whatever, whatever it is, how many forwards, shares, whatever the, the terms are. Um, so it's the same thing. I think if you use it like anything in moderation, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. And, and I'm just, I'm grateful that you responded to my tweet to find guests to come on the show, to this episode has been very enlightening for me and I'm honored and thrilled that you came on the show to share your story. So thank Thank you.
0: you. I am honored that you responded positively. It's a passion of mine. Now I consider this part of my 12 step work. And I do want to say one thing that um, while I've talked about the 12 steps, that is my experience. And so it's the only thing I can speak to. I am not one of these people that thinks that, you can't recover outside of the 12 steps. I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about it. Actually, I don't have any experience in that, so I don't know, but I'm certainly not going to tell you or anyone else that your recovery experience isn't valid or your, I have, I have heard people say, well, not about you, but about someone, well, he must not have been a real addict if he could recover without the 12 steps. Right. And, I'm
1: sure you and shame on anybody that you says know, that. That's am sure you've ridiculous. heard
0: things like that. It's
1: oh, yeah. No doubt. I have.
0: I've the way to go. And
1: and it's shameful that, you know, the way is the way. And for one addict to judge another and say that you're you must not have been an addict or you must not be in recovery because you didn't do it my way is ridiculous.
0: Right. So um, I. um I I don't know that I could help anybody any other way because that is my experience. You know, that's where, that's where I can say, this is what happened to me. Maybe it will help you, you know, outside of 12 steps. I don't, I don't know what I'd say to somebody, but I certainly don't think that my way is the only way, um, or that the 12 step way is the only way there are people who have been I mean i kind of bashed weighing and measuring your food there are people who have done that for 30 years and they say they're in recovery i'm not going to tell them they're not what i am going to say is that for me that would still be a way to control my eating and i can't do that if i control my eating i'd still be weighing i'd still be on keto
1: (laughs) no it it makes a lot of sense and um well cindy you are an open a uh, trusting person and a wonderful person. So anyone in your life would be lucky to have you in their life. So you can help people in tremendous ways, uh, not just on the show, but I'm sure anyone that would reach out for help, um, you would be more than willing and loving to do so. And, and that's the special part about you coming on the show, because if this is, uh, I'm not going to, this is, it was a unique episode for me because I got to learn so much. I'm always learning. I'm always asking questions because I'm interested to learn. But for me, this was eye opening because I, I hadn't thought about food as an addiction the way that you've described it. So I, I appreciate you making me a little bit better of a person today after having listened to you than I was before. So this has been great. Again, helpful.
0: thank you for the opportunity and anytime you want to touch base, whether it's for an episode or not, you know how to find me.
1: I will absolutely stay oh, in touch uh, with personally and to have you back on the show. So You have a wonderful evening and it has been so nice to meet you and hear yourself. Thank story.
0: you very much, Anthony. You have a wonderful evening too.